morning again. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Luke chapter 14. And there's also a message outline right out there in the center doors at the, at the ministry counter right out there. We're going to continue on our near, new series that we started last week that I didn't know. And it's looking at big things that are so important and critical to our Christian experience or Christian faith as disciples of Jesus. Things maybe you say, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't know that. And, and we want to correct that and maybe even in some cases perhaps destroy the myths that we've we believed all these years. But what I did last week in introduction is I gave you a, a small thing I didn't know. And, and, and before we got to the big thing I didn't know. So I want to do that this morning. Uh, it's not so much critical to our discipleship, but it's what, what we value as, as a church, I believe. And here's the little one this morning. I didn't know that God doesn't have a shelf. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Uh, and what I mean by that, many churches have taught over the years that if you've made a big sin or made a big mistake, you could experience the forgiveness of God, but then God was going to put you on a shelf. Have you ever heard that? He's going to place you on a shelf, which means you can never be used in a significant way in the church because you've been placed on a shelf. And I've heard that happen in churches. I've never been in a church a part of that. We don't practice that or teach that here at Crossroads. But listen to me, God doesn't have a shelf. He doesn't have a shelf where he puts people there and said, because you've done this, I can't use you. Remember I said a few weeks ago, perhaps the, the three greatest servants of God in the Bible is Moses, David, and Paul. And I said, what do those three have in common? They're all murderers, right? They're all murderers. I mean, that's a, would you say that's a major sin, murder? But God still used them in a significant way. And if God doesn't have a shelf, we better not have a shelf either, right? And maybe you're here and you're challenged in some area. And say, I really want to serve in this area. But you have in your mind, you're saying, but I, but I can't because I've done this or I've done that and I, I just can't serve. Or maybe you're saying, I'm going to put myself on a shelf because maybe I'm getting a little older now and I need to step aside and let others take over. And I'm going to put myself on a shelf until Jesus comes back or until I join Jesus. I don't know if anybody's thinking that. Don't waste a moment on the shelf. God doesn't have a shelf. And as long as we have breath in our lungs, God wants us to serve him wholeheartedly and be involved in ministry serving him. So you can't say, I didn't know God doesn't have a shelf, right? Because now you do, right? So let's get to the next one. It's a bigger one. And I want to forewarn you today that this is going to be very, very challenging. I'm going to say some things and you're going to say, what? It's going to be extremely challenging. Uh, it's not going to be entertaining today. When I did this message, it was very uncomfortable as, as I was preparing for this. And I know it's going to be uncomfortable to hear some of it, just to be honest with you. But I got to teach God's word the way it is. And what it is, is I didn't know that following Jesus cost everything. It cost everything. And uh, the year was 1914. It was Ernest, Ernest Shackleton, who was an explorer of Great Britain. He was going to lead an expedition to Antarctica. So he put an ad in the paper to get people to join him on his expedition. And the ad read something like this. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. I mean, who would ever respond to an ad like that, right? Would you be surprised that over 5,000 people responded to that ad? And they wanted an expedition, adventure in their life, thinking that the cause was, was worth the cost. And so they signed up to be a part of that. Jesus has a high cost for discipleship. 
If you have your Bibles, as I said, turn to Luke 14. Part of the difficulty with the hard words of this is because it's so opposite of what we hear in the North American churches today. When you hear pastors around the country and many times in, in churches and on television, internet, radio, podcasts, whatever you might listen to, that will say something like, if you accept Jesus into your life, every day becomes like a Friday. Every day becomes like a, a weekend. There's no worries or no problems. And it's always just wonderful all the time. And if you have Jesus in your life, everything's just great. You should experience health and prosperity. And if you don't, it's because something is wrong with you. Because you have sin in your life or you're not doing something right. That Jesus, what this teaching is, is you just add Jesus to your life is what they're saying. You add Jesus to your life and the value of that can be measured in your health. Be merit measured in dollars and cents. In houses and summer homes and cabins and cars and boats. In possessions and all those kind of things. Is that what Jesus really meant when he said that? Is that what he really meant? Jesus is going to say something that's going to challenge us. Because what Jesus is saying Following Jesus cost everything. It cost everything. If you have your Bibles, the Luke 14, Jesus is going to identify in your outline there, I believe, two priorities to following Jesus. And the first one is this. Prioritize Jesus above your earthly relationships. Prioritize Jesus above your earthly relationships. Let's begin reading Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, I want to stop there and kind of get the context of what's going on here. There's a great crowd that's following Jesus. The Pharisees have already left him. Uh, they're traveling, and some people believe they're traveling to Jerusalem for the Passover. And they're traveling, and Jesus notices the crowds that are traveling him. And perhaps he's thinking, all these people are following me. Why? Why are they following me? What's their motivation, the reason they're following me? Are they following me because they, they want to see another miracle? because they've seen all the miracles? Are they following me because I fed 5,000 and gave a free lunch out of a small lunch, and maybe they're looking for more lunches or, or dinners or whatever? Why are there people following me, is the question. So Jesus is going to give them a price tag for following him. For those tag-alongs are going to have to make a decision, and the cost is going to be high. He's going to turn to them and, and say things. And imagine that you're one of the crowd. Imagine you're one of those people, and you've seen Jesus do some amazing things, some miracles, but you're not sure about him. You're not sure, and you're following him. And Jesus turns and says here in verse 26 and 27, imagine what you would be thinking. He says, if anyone comes to me, comes, follows me, and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If you're sitting there and you're following him, you think, what is that about? And you see that he, he, and he's going to emphasize twice here and one more time. He's going to emphasize three times, you cannot be my disciple. He's not lowering it in, ter in his terms, but he's kind of raising the cost here. Here's the cost of following me, what he's saying. And as I read that today, there's probably one word in those two verses that kind of bother you, right? What's the word? Hate. Jesus uses hate. That's not, Jesus usually doesn't use that word, does he? But here in this passage, he says, hate. If you want to follow me, you have to hate. And you look at this, and then he starts with the original relationship. Your father and your mother. Then he goes to your, your family, your husband, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters. And you even have to hate your own self is what he's saying. If you want to be one of his disciples. We have to look at that word hate, and we got to figure out what does he mean by that word hate? What is he saying there so we can understand this? First of all, I want to tell you what it doesn't mean. 
It doesn't mean the way that we use hate, like we normally say it, like I hate broccoli. It doesn't mean that. It, it can't mean that. You say, how do you know that? And here's the, how I know that. Because Jesus can never, can never contradict himself. Or Jesus can never contradict Scripture. Are you with me on that? Do you agree? Right? We all agree on that. Jesus cannot contradict himself, and he cannot contradict Scripture, right? So what does Jesus say in other parts of Scripture so we can handle what he means here? He's, he's, he's asked what is the greatest commandment. Remember what he said, the greatest commandment? Is to love the Lord your God with all your whole heart, soul, mind, and strength and you'll love your neighbor as yourself. So here he's talking about you must love, love. We hear that constantly from Jesus. The apostle Paul writing to the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter five, he says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Then how could Jesus now say, hate your wife to the husbands, hate your wives. And Jesus can't contradict what the Holy Spirit said through the apostle Paul, can he? And we know what Jesus said to his, about enemies, about your enemy. What does he say to do with your enemies? Love your enemies. So Jesus is constantly saying, love, 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 all through Scripture. So Jesus cannot be saying in Luke 14, hate like we know it. When every other part of Scripture, Jesus is talking about love, constantly talking about love. So what does he mean here? What is he talking about? He must mean something different. Some say it's a use of hyperbole, and you hear me say that constantly. It's a figure of speech that was intentionally used to show an exaggeration to make a point, that Jesus was trying to make a point here. In other words, instead of saying you need to love the Lord more than you love your spouse or whoever, he said there's, there's a gap that you love the Lord so much compared to others, it's like hate. That you love them so much less. That you love Jesus, God, this much, but everyone else is way down here and compared to that, it's like hate. You love them so much less. Jesus used hyperbole on other occasions, didn't he? You hear me use that word quite often here. Remember, he once said it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get into, that, into heaven. And you say that's impossible. And the people that were saying that to that day, they were listening to that. It doesn't matter how big an eye of a needle are for you. It would be difficult for any kind of camel, even a small camel, to go through the eye of a needle, right? And they were thinking to themselves, that's impossible. It can't happen. A rich man can never get into heaven. Let's take that the next step. You and I or anyone else can never get into heaven on their own, right? It's impossible. That's the point Jesus was trying to make. And then he gets to the next verse in, in that passage, and he says, but with God, all things are possible. With us too, with, with God, all things are possible. And that's the point Jesus was making. And he was using hyperbole to do it. So when I think that Jesus is saying in this passage, in Luke 14, is perhaps hyperbole. He's saying all these relationships have offered you something. They've offered you something. As a mom and dad, a mom and dad, they offer you security and they offer you status. As a husband or wife or children, they offer you comfort and enjoyment and legacy is what they offer you. And Jesus said, all that changes when you come to Jesus because Jesus is offering you identity of who you are. He said, I'm giving you identity. When we come, become followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus now becomes our number one identity. You heard me say that many times over the weeks and in the years. When we come to know Jesus, he's our identity, right? He, he's our, he, he's uh, our identity above all of our other subordinate identities, what Jesus is. For, he, for all the other subordinate identities that we have come under the leadership and the authority of Jesus as a follower of Jesus Christ. He's our superordinate identity, amen? It's the highest identity we can have is in Jesus. And all those other subordinate identities have to come underneath him. Stuff like whether I'm a Republican or Democrat. Stuff like where I'm a male or female. I'm a husband or wife, 
or a mother or father has to come under the superordinate identity that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ because that's who we are. That is our identity is what Jesus is saying. And I think that's what he means there in Luke chapter 14. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, come follow me. And Peter, James, and John drops their nets to follow him. Jesus says to Matthew, the tax collector, he says, come follow me. And Matthew left his lucrative tax business, even though it might have been corrupt, and followed Jesus. Zacchaeus left half his fortune to follow Jesus. And there was a rich young ruler who came to Jesus one day and said, what do I have to do and inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus said, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. The young man walked away because Jesus knew that was his obstacle. And today the cost is just as high. It's not lower. It's not lower. It's just as high. And the challenge that we have today, quite frankly, is we understand the words of Jesus, right? We understand his words, what he's saying. They're very simple to understand, but we don't know how to apply them. We don't know how to apply them to Christianity. It's been so shaped by our culture. It's been shaped by our culture, the way we view things, whether we realize that or not. And so we have lowered the cost so drastically, lowered the cost that, that from the original price tag, that following Jesus was going to cost everything. That's what Jesus said in Scripture. Everything. Where are today where you add Jesus to your life and really nothing has to change at all? You come to Jesus and I can still be the way I am. Sin and all. I can still go do my own thing apart from Jesus. I just have to come to him. And what Jesus is saying is no, that's not the case at all. To follow Jesus, all other earthly relationships have to come under the priority of Jesus. He has to become number one in our lives is what he's saying. And what does that mean? It means a lot of things. It means that all of our other earthly relationships, suppose we're dating or engaged to someone, and uh, someone doesn't know Jesus or not really a firm follower of Jesus, there's a really good chance if that leads to marriage or just dating them, they could actually pull you away from Jesus or detract you from Jesus, right? And that's why the apostle Paul says, do not be yoked with an unbeliever. He says that. We have to understand it. But there are tougher questions we have to kind of address. It's like the question is, do we put our friends and family above our, the love that we have for this book, the Bible? Become higher than this Bible, the book that we follow. Do we say, oh yeah, my friends and family, they're here, and God, your word's here. Or do we raise this above that? We have to make that decision and choice for ourselves. What do you think Jesus is saying? Put the Bible and his word above that. Love this more than you love them, because God is going to give us the love that we need for our family and our friends and our spouse. He's going to give us the love that we need is what, what he's saying. How would you compare or contrast the amount of time you spend on social media? looking at text messages, checking out Facebook, looking at videos on TikTok. View our desire to open this book and hear what God has to say to us. How would you say the time comparison and contrasting to that, that we really spend in his word? We say, God, you're first. Do we really show it in his word? Unless you hate your father and mother, Jesus said, and love me, you cannot be my disciples, what he's saying. Those are hard words, but we can't sugarcoat them. We understand what he's saying, right? You understand what he's saying. I don't have to stand up here and say, well, let me tell you what he said. You understand that. We, we get what he's saying. What about worshiping together with God's people? You say, well, I used to come, you know, every Sunday. I used to be here four days out of four Sundays mornings out of the month. But, you know, since COVID and all the busyness I have in life and all those kind of things, I'm not able to attend as much. You know, we have kids and many activities. We're so busy in life. I have, I have to work around the house. I, I've got a summer home. I've got a boat. We make all kinds of excuses. I don't know about you, but it seems like once COVID hit, that's just an excuse for everything. 
just COVID because we can't do this. We can't do that because of COVID. But I wonder many times, coming to church and, and our attendance at church really shows our devotion and dedication to Jesus. Is he that important? Because in Scripture, it tells us not, do not give a meeting together, we're to meet together. In the words of Jesus said, unless you love me more than you love yourself, he says, you cannot be my disciples, what he's saying. What, what do we want to do? We want to take the words of Jesus many times and we want to adjust them and, 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 and kind of fit them into cultural Christianity of today that we have and kind of compromise and make it where we've lowered the cost considerably to what Jesus was saying in our lives. And we want to make him more like a hobby. We want to make him more like a toy that he's there, but he's not there to make a difference in my life. And when I need Jesus, I wind him up like a toy and say, okay, Jesus, I need you. Here's what I need from you. And we want to treat him like that. We don't want to treat him like he's the most important part of our lives. He's just there. And there's also obedience to the word where we come to God's word. Is it a test to our love as it relates to relationships? Am I going to be obedient to his word or not? And it's also the love of myself compared to my love to Jesus. There's a test for us. Do I love myself doing more than I love Jesus? And that's a, big, that's a big calling for all of us to look at. Do I love Jesus more than I love myself? Suppose I would say to the Holy Spirit, I've read the Word of God, but there's things in the Word of God that I don't really like, so I, I'm really not going to obey them. Uh, we would never say that to the Holy Spirit, would we? We would never say that to him. I'm not going to obey some of these things in Scripture. But every time we disobey God, that's exactly what we're saying to the Holy Spirit. We're saying, I'm not going to disobey this. I, I don't want this. So pick whatever you want in the Bible, the things that you don't like. And suppose you, you say, I don't like what the Bible has to say about this or that. It wants me to do this. And the Holy Spirit of God maybe says to you and says, oh, I'm really sorry about that. You know, if I didn't known that really really bother you, I wouldn't have put that in the Scripture in the first place. Because the last thing I would want to do is make you feel guilty or, or convict you. Can you imagine God saying that? And that's really why we want to look at Scripture sometimes. Because God couldn't have possibly wrote the Word of God that would convict me and make me feel bad about myself or be guilty about what I'm doing. It, could, it never would God want to convict me of my sin, right? So we have to justify it. We have to adjust it. It can't mean that. So let's kind of compromise. And, and I don't want to obey that. And I'll take this out. I'll ignore this. I'll accept this because this is what I want. And God gives us his word. And he says basically what Jesus is saying is, you want to follow me or not? Pick up your cross and follow me. Pick up your cross and follow me. That's what he's saying. There's a cost. Now understand, salvation is free through Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about coming to Christ. Salvation is free coming to, through Jesus Christ. It's a free gift by God's grace through faith that we're saved, right? But to follow Jesus, he was saying to those people, there's a cost. And the cost is extremely high. Have you counted the cost? Then Jesus, not only does he say we have to prioritize Jesus above all our earthly relationships, he gives us a second priority to follow Jesus. Number two, prioritize Jesus above our earthly resources. Above our earthly resources. Let's read verses 28 to 33. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost See if, see if he has enough money to complete it. For he, for he lays the foundation, is not able to finish it. Everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my 
disciple. Three times we read in Luke 14 where he says, he cannot be my disciple. And he gives us two stories, two illustrations here. And the first one is about building the tower. Uh, we've seen it. We've seen buildings that are half finished and, and we kind of walk by and they started great plans, great building plans, but something happened in the building. They stopped building, right? And it, it, it wasn't for a week they stopped. It wasn't for a month. It wasn't for a year, but years go by. There's no building, just the building half completed there. And you look at it and you say, what happened? Somebody had great plans, but they didn't count the cost. Something happened there. They didn't count the cost. And Jesus would suggest they either didn't have time, they didn't have money, or they didn't have the will to finish the project. And I think about these verses, and sometimes we reference to marriage to kind of give you an illustration. And sometimes I might reference this passage when I'm doing a wedding ceremony, because the couple comes, and they come to the front of the aisle, and the father steps back, and the groom steps forward, and it's a wonderful thing. And then I say something, and then I finally say, today we're here to formalize your commitment to one another with these marriage vows. Will you repeat after me? And I begin by saying I like something like, I, John, Repeat after me, I, John, take you, Mary, to be my lawfully wedded wife, to heaven to hold, from this day forward, for better, for worse, for rich or poor, in sickness and in health, uh, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. Is That's what I say. And they're making their commitment, right? They're making their commitment. But by the time those vows are made, both John and, what's her name? Oh, good, you're listening. It's testing you. You're listening. It's always good to hear when you're listening, right? Both John and Mary, they needed to have counted the cost. Because by the time they're up front there, it's way too late. And they should have thought through, what does it mean for better or for worse? Or sickness and in health. What happens if cancer comes or some other disease or something else happens? Am I willing to take care of them? If I counted the cost, what that's going to mean? And that's what Jesus said, you have to count the cost. A bride or groom who has not counted the cost are headed for a, a rough road ahead of them. Wouldn't you agree? Because marriage is difficult as it is. And if you haven't counted the cost, am I willing to go through it? And whatever happens, I'm willing to be there. Count the cost. So count the cost is what he's saying before you get into it. That's what he's saying. That's what Jesus was talking about here. Count the cost. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, recognize you're going to have to count the cost. What it's going to mean. It's going to cost you everything. Peter, James, and John uh, gave up their nets to follow Jesus. Matthew left a lucrative tax business to follow Jesus. And probably all 12 of them gave up their lives to follow Jesus. When Jesus said, come follow me, and they were asking, what is it going to cost? And what Jesus was saying, everything. You must die to yourself. You have to die to yourself. And Jesus said in John cha I mean Luke chapter 9, if you want to follow me, you have to understand that you have to die die to yourself and yield your life to me is what he's saying to follow Jesus. When we follow Jesus means not my way anymore, but I'm to follow Jesus and prioritize Jesus above everything. And all these earthly possessions come under the priority of us following Jesus, of our love for him, right? Everything comes under the him. That's what he's saying. Then he gives a second illustration and it's about going to war, about a king going to war. And this king that's going to war, he's got 10,000 soldiers. But the one he's going up against is how many? 20,000 soldiers. So the king with 10,000 soldiers has to stop and think. Do I really want to go up against this other king? It may lose everything, and we all lose our lives. So maybe I ought to send a delegation for my military to go talk to a delegation for their military in form terms of peace. Understand, this story is not about war. This story is about counting the cost. 
Count the cost before you move forward. Count the cost is what he's saying. What are you going to do before you step into it? That's what Jesus was saying. That's what he said. If you haven't counted the cost, you can't be my disciple because it's going to cost you everything. Not a little bit. Not a little bit. He said it's going to cost you everything. I saw this quote a long time ago, and I don't know who wrote it, but I, but I really like it. And it says this. Discipleship is not a matter of how much we have to offer, but rather renouncing all that we think we have to offer. It's really good. Let me say it again. Discipleship is not a matter of how much we have to offer, but rather it's renouncing all that we think we have to offer. Jesus may not ask us for, for our stuff to sign in all over our stuff. He may not ask us to do that. But what he's saying, don't let any of that stuff become between us. That's what Jesus is saying here. You can have stuff, but don't let it come between us. Don't make it a priority over me. Don't ever do that. That's what he's saying. Because if it is, you're wrong. It's sin. It's wrong to do that. And that's what he's saying. So we need to prioritize Jesus above our, our ladder climbing and our, and our jobs. We need to prioritize Jesus, not make him just a hobby or, or a toy in part-time. We need to prioritize Jesus above our fancy cars, above our homes, our summer homes or our cabins, or whatever we might have, above our boats, our projects, our properties, our work, our jobs, our money, our collections, ourselves. We need to prioritize Jesus, that he's above all. He's above everything. We have to yield everything to Jesus. That's what he's saying. Yield it all to me. Don't leave anything. Le yield it everything to me. That's the cost. That's what he's saying. He says in Luke chapter 9, verse 24, whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. I told you it's going to be challenging, didn't I? that the cost that Jesus was asking, not this low cost that we have in churches today and what is taught most today, just accept Jesus and go do your own thing. It doesn't really matter. You've made the choice so you can go live your life yourself. Jesus never meant that. He never meant that. We see it in Scripture. Never meant that. The apostles never taught that in Scripture. It's never taught. And so because Christianity surrounds us today and we see that the words that the, they've lowered the price tag, that it doesn't cost you anything. It's not going to cost nothing. That you just sign on. Just sign on to Jesus and just add him to your life. And now you follow Jesus and you fit him into your schedule. You, you fit that worship service into your schedule. You just kind of squeeze it in there. Well, I, I think I could squeeze that in there. You fit squeezing in the reading of the Word of God. I think I can fit that in my schedule. So you have your schedule and you're just trying to squeeze Jesus in there, right? You're trying to fit him in where, where it fits. I, I got a couple minutes, five minutes for him there, a little bit of time there. Maybe I can make it on Sunday. Maybe I can do that. And what Jesus is crying out from his heart, he says, No! It was never meant to be that. If you want to be my disciple, I just can't fit into your schedule. It wasn't meant to be that way, that I fit into your schedule, that I squeeze into your life. I never meant it. You have to prioritize Jesus above all your earthly relationships. You have to prioritize Jesus above all your earthly resources. He says, I want you to give up everything for me. Do you realize what I've done for you? Give up it all. Unless you do that, you can't be my disciple. Unless you put me first, you can't be my disciple. Not the disciples that Jesus wants. And Jesus wants us to put him first above everything. Prioritize him first, number one. Don't schedule him in. Make your schedule around Jesus. That's what he's saying. Involve Jesus. Include Jesus in everything that you do. He's included in everything. With Jesus, I'm scheduling you in. I'm talking to you throughout the day. Not just this time, but throughout the day. I'm reading Scripture. I'm memorizing Scripture. I'm thinking about Scripture. I'm listening to songs. All through the day, I'm including you in my life. 
Jesus may ask some of us to give up something when we see a need. He says, I want you to sacrifice here. In order to fill that need in someone else's life or whatever it may be, you're going to have to give this thing up in your life in order to do that. And he may ask us to do that. I think one of the greatest measurements of our ability to give up is whether or not we give up and, and, and we give and are generous in our giving. When we come and we say, God, I give you it all, Jesus. It's all yours, right? Do you understand that everything you have is Jesus? Your job, Jesus gave it to you. All the money you have, your home, all your possessions, it's by God's grace he gave that to you. Do, do you understand that? Or do you think that you accomplished that on your own without the help of Jesus? Everything you have, it comes from him. The Bible says he owns everything, the earth and everything in it. And everything is his. He owns it all. It's all his. But yet we want to hold on to it so tightly, don't we? To think this is mine. Just know it's mine. And by my grace, I've given it to you to use for my glory. And so Jesus said, you cannot be my disciple unless you obey me and put me first. Let me apply this in two quick ways as we close. And I know this has been tough. For anyone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, not made that decision yet, uh, please count the cost and put, make Jesus as your Savior. Put, accept him as your Savior. And you say, after all that you say, do I really want him as my Savior? Yes, absolutely. Remember, salvation is a free gift through Jesus Christ. When we come and realize that we're lost sinners, destined for eternity separated from God, right? And to understand the only hope that we have is through Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sins. We put our faith and our trust in Jesus, trust him as our Savior. God isn't asking us to cross, cross, walk across the Antarctica. What he's asking us is to put him first, to yield our lives to him. That's what he wants for us to yield our lives. That's the cost of discipleship. Is it worth it? Absolutely it's worth it. What we get from Jesus. We get him in eternity with him forever and ever. That our hope is not in just this life, but eternity come. The Holy Spirit lives within us, right? All the things that we gain, forgiveness of sins, access to God the Father, all that we get for all of eternity, not short term for eternity. It's well worth it. Accept Jesus as your Savior. Count the cost. Accept him as your Savior. Put your trust in him. Secondly, for all who claim to know and follow Jesus, for all of you that say, I, I've trusted Christ as my Savior, is it possible? And I want you to be honest with yourself. Not say what you think you ought to say, but really look at your own heart and mind that you allowed the cultural Christianity with the very lowest price tag to shape who you are in Jesus. That you've been allow the culture to influence. And you know, culture, whether we realize that, influences us whether we realize it or not. And we've allowed it to influence us in making our decisions of who we think Jesus wants us to be and, and following him. That Jesus has just been come, become a part of our lives, and he's not the most important part. Yes, he's part of my life, but he's not the most important. Evidenced by our lack and desire of this book. Just check yourself. Do I really desire for this book? Do I get in this book? Is it really important to me? Am I in it? Often. Evidenced by my sporadic attendance in worship services with God's people. It's evidence. Evidence that I pick and choose what I want to obey or ignore in this book. Well, I'll pick that. I'll choose that. I'll ignore that. I don't like that. I want to throw that out. Those are evidences, guys. And we put him number one. Is he first in our lives? He's a priority. If that's possible, you've seen yourself slip in those areas, and it's possible. It's possible. We have to be honest with ourselves. Where Christianity of North America is shaping us, rather than the words of Jesus, 
don't try to justify it. Don't try to make excuses. Just simply come and just confess and say, I got it. I've done that. I've allowed that to happen. I've allowed other things to become more important than you. I've let priorities slip, and I say, yes, this is more important. Even my own family, I've raised it to where it should not be. They're more of an idol now. It's everything's about them. Where the only one that should be there is God. And if we've done that, just come and confess it. And let's get back on track with them. See, my thing, I know this is a difficult message, but my heart is so that we're all are, are, are so sold out for Jesus, that we have a passion and heart for Jesus, and we want to serve him so we can be all that God wants us to be, and our church can be all that God wants us to be. See, I can only answer for me, and you've got to answer for you. I can't answer for you. We've all got to look at this, and as I did this message and went over and went over through the week, it was very challenging for me, and I thought, man, I've been praying about it. How are people going to respond to this? And I pray that over the hours after this, in the days and the weeks, that you might really examine your heart and your mind, ask the Holy Spirit, then you will make a choice and really come to terms, who is Jesus in my life? I'm not questioning your salvation, but who is Jesus in my life? Is he number one over all my relationships, over all my resources? Is he really? Is he really? To really be honest and ask yourself, that's what he wants. Does my life reflect and show it? I may say it, but does it really reflect and show it and how I live my life? That Jesus is number one in his priority. We all have to answer those questions. We all have to come to the terms and say, yes, Jesus, you're over all relationships, over all resources. You're number one in my life, above all, everything. Then we might make a stand for Jesus and come and say, Jesus, I'm going to make this stand. And if, if it's not, let's just be honest. And many times we're, we walk in life, we have those seasons where he's not. We've got distracted and we're, we're focused on maybe projects, maybe work, or maybe whatever. And we've lost the sight of who Jesus is in our life. And when we're going through those things, who we really need in those times is Jesus to help us. And many times we get distracted. Let's be redirected. Let's remember what Jesus said. Count the cost. Make me number one in your life. And he's going to help us to make those good decisions. He's going to help us to prioritize everything else and give us the balance in life that we need. Only what can do that is Jesus. Take Jesus out of our life. We're in balance, people. We go from one thing to the other, to one extreme to the other. The one that brings balance is Jesus. He guides and directs us on how to live and where to put work and where to put family and where to put our spouse and, and what all these projects and my hobbies and, and all that other kind of stuff. He gives us the balance. Say, no, I'm first prioritize. I'll give you the time for these things, but put me first. We all have to give an answer. And if you're not there today, I pray over the next hours and days and weeks, you can't arrive there because that's what Jesus wants. That's what scripture talks about. Not what cultural Christianity tells us. Not what you hear out there in much of the preaching today would just add Jesus on. He's all right with it. Oh, just live your life. Jesus doesn't care. He does. That's what Scripture's all about. He cares how we live our lives. Let's yield our lives to him. And if you're able to do that today, let's make a stand today. Let's take a stand today and say, Jesus, you're number one. And I stand today with you, Jesus. And I want to say that you're above all relationships in my life. You're above all resources in my life. Amen? Let's take that stand. Let's pray. Lord, we come and we praise you. And we thank you so much. God, you come and your word reminds us. And maybe it's a friendly rebuke. Maybe it's convicting. Maybe it, it does all those things to us. It's only because you love us so much. And you know what's best for us. They're your children just like our children. 
can sometimes get in a little mischief, sometimes get distracted from the things that are important in life. And God, sometimes we need that little shove. We need that little rebuke. We need that reminder from you, that loving reminder that says, no, I'm to be the most important thing in your life. I'm to be what you're focused on, not all these other things. So Lord, I pray for all of us, myself included. Help me, Lord, remember that. To yield everything, all relationships and all resources to you. That you would reign over all those things in my life. And Lord, when it gets out of balance and I start putting things before you, remind me, Lord. Remind me, convict me, and help me, Lord, to always put you in your proper place. That you are second to none. You're always first in our life. And Lord, when we live our lives that way, that's where we live the Christian life that you've called us to live. That's where we live the significant life that's going to impact not only our lives, but those around us, including our children and our grandchildren and our spouses. Help us to be the people you've called us to be. Help us to count the cost and to live the life that you've called us to live. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And thank you so much, Lord, for your word of God that helps to guide us and lead us. It's like our compass in life that keeps us on course. When we get off course, it brings us back and helps us to fix our hearts and mind upon you, Jesus. That's what's most important. And I pray for each person here. I pray for the person who may not know you as their Savior. I pray for their heart and mind that they might understand that you love them. And Jesus, you died on the cross for their sins. But Lord, they might count the cost, but they might accept you as their Savior. Put their faith and trust in you. Let us all, Lord, this morning, make that stand, make that commitment to you, to put you where you need to be, priority above everything. You are above all. Let us make that stand. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.